Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Stella Giannato, founder and CEO of Brand for Brands, a branding agency with a 25-year history specializing in helping companies rebrand, keeping their company relevant as their business grows through time. Stella has been in the industry, as I said, for 25 years and has designed and launched over 1,000 brands. Me and Stella discussed how to keep your brand relevant over time as your business evolves, family business, the use of AI, and how to have your customers put your company on a pedestal. Stella is an expert on this topic. Enjoy the show. I cannot believe that you have already been a club member for five years. Yes. I hope it's been a good five years. <laughs> it's been great five years. Yeah. Oh, great amazing. five years. And what, what made you guys join originally? Because it's you and your sister, no? It's Yes, it's both of us. So we're business partners. Um, well, it was very interesting because it took me almost two years to make the decision <laughs> to join. <laughs> That's how long Anthony courted me, shall we say. Yeah, we're good at that at Cub. Yeah, you were really good at it. And um, essentially, I wanted to expand my business networks. I wanted a different um, caliber of of business and a different type of clientele. And I figured that the only way to get that would be to change the networks. Um, And at that time, I thought, well, aside from the price point, there's a lot of investment that's required in time. And I figured I made the decision and I'm all in. And I actually withdrew out of all the other networks um, joined Cub and within a few weeks, my first project had paid for my membership oh, for a couple that's of good. years. <laughs> so I oh, was amazing. very happy. That's a great success story. In fact, we were doing the numbers the other week, and because obviously it's five years now, so our total investment in Cub, we have 10x that in five years. Wow. Okay, you've got to email me that. We should like use stuff like so that. So that is for us financially, absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's the cultivation of relationships and the community that we belong to that we love the most. Well, we obviously love having you as a member of Cub, and thank you for coming on today. And but today's not about Cub or, or me; it's, it's about you uh, and your business and your journey. And, and, and so, why don't you give us a quick introduction to your business and what you specialize in? So, I'm one of the founders and the creative director at Brand for Brands, and we're an agency that specializes in rebranding. So when clients ask us what is it that we do, we say that we give your consumer what they want before they know they want it. How do we do that? We do that by rebranding the business and the ba- and the brand itself. We look at the customer journey to see what opportunities there are. And we also look at the consumer behaviour. How is your consumer going to enact, react or experience your brand? And that's where you need to be. Uh, branding's always been one of my favourite. Great. Like topics and kind of things. Like I really always like talking about brands and and because and I love creativity. But at the same time, it's this kind of double-edged sword. Like I've always found it anyway because you like you create this brand and then you like based on what you know about your business at that specific point of time. So it's kind of like this is what I believe my business is and this is um, what we should be saying and what we stand for and what we're about. And then, you know, your business evolves over time because, yeah, business just kind of travels and it's like a river. It just keeps going and and sometimes it's thicker, thinner, does some curves, sometimes there's waterfalls. Like it's got – it goes through different stages. But sometimes that stage means you – oh, shit, my brand that I created like four years ago Mm. is no longer really representing my business 
um, at this correctly at the stage it is now. That's right. And so, like, like I even me and Laura will always like because we normally do a lot of the creative stuff together. Um, we're like, oh my god, this is the best! Like, mm. this is the best website. This is the best brand. And then, like, three years later, you're like, oh my god, how did we think that was good? Like, <laughs> you know, is that is that when people come to you? They're like, oh my god, <laughs> what did we do? We need we need an upgrade. Well, that's one of the conditions when um, someone would come to us to look at a rebrand. But essentially, the thing with a brand is you need to position yourself for where you want to be tomorrow as well as for today. And so generally a rebranding occurs for us when there's what we call an underlying economic condition. So that condition is either they've lost business, they've lost sales, revenue is down for a variety of different reasons or um, they want more market share. So essentially they've noticed in the numbers something's not quite right and they can't pinpoint it. They almost always come to us and say something's wrong with our marketing, something's wrong with our socials or our advertising. They never consider the fact that it's actually their brand. So what's interesting is we tend to forget that when we create a brand, we have to create a brand by reverse engineering it. What does it look like in its old age when we're leaving our legacy behind and we need to work backwards and we need to develop that brand to future-proof it and essentially grow it through all the different stages? And that's where people go wrong. So it doesn't really matter how much market share you've got or how much you turn over. It's the life cycle of where the brand is at and what it's got to do to either mature or sometimes it's got to go backwards. It has to go back to its adolescence because it really – Mucked up its its development. Yeah, back to its essence, back to its core, its like core, its core values. Its core anatomy, essentially, that's what we refer to it as. But it, it, it is like that underlying economic condition. You know, imagine how many people have told off their marketing teams or like their outsourced marketing mm. companies, like, oh, you guys suck, it's not working. You know, there's, there's only so much like, you know, a digital marketer could do because at the end of the day, if your brand isn't communicating with your audience mm. um, and, and, and isn't like it doesn't own a niche or it doesn't like it's not it doesn't have a clear message. Or a, or a differentiation, in fact. It, mm. it might just be same, same or something that they've Frankensteined because they saw their competitors doing it. So they thought they might do it as well, too. And in reality, you're right, because and look. I will say that there are people in the industry in marketing and advertising socials that they do get it wrong, but at the end of the day, they can only work with what the brand gives them. If there is no value set there for the brand, if that's not thoroughly communicated in terms of the tone of voice or in terms of the visual identity, all the marketing activity is going to do is amplify that. So if it's not right, that's all the marketing and advertising is doing amplifying what the brand has already got. So if you don't like what you have. You're amplifying what's wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. And, and so what process do you guys take in order to kind of figure out, okay, how, how do we need to upgrade this brand? Like how, do we, how do we make this brand represent this company accurately? Well, essentially we sit down with either the owners or the founders or the creators, whoever they might be. It, it depends on um, size of the, company. the size of the company essentially, yes. And we start with, okay, let's look at what you've got. Let's look at what's wrong. Let's look at what's not working. And then let's flip that around and let's workshop it. If time and resource and money was not an issue, where would we be or where do you want to be? And the reason we ask that question is sometimes the founders and the owners want the business to be in a different positioning than where it's grown organically or where the industry has taken them. And then what we need to do is we need to, I suppose, 
cross-reference what the brand and the business is saying they are and where they want to be with where their consumer wants them to be. Because generally where the brand or the business thinks they are or thinks they ought to be is not where the consumer wants them to be. And how can you figure that out though? Well, we figure that out by looking at a couple of different things. So the first thing is we look at the core anatomy of the brand. So what is its value set and how is it communicating it? We then look at what it's got available to be able to communicate that. We then look at the customer journey. So we ask them to map the process from A to B. So what do you do to nurture your client? How do you get them? And then what do you do after you've banked the money essentially? And then we go to market and we look at competitors. Sometimes we mystery shop them. Sometimes we will um, uh, step in and uh, pretend to be a potential client essentially. And we also look at various different data forms. We look at some trends in the UK and the US and then we piece all of that together. That gives us a picture. And from that picture, if you can imagine it being like a puzzle, there's always pieces missing. So then we have to work with the brand to fill in those pieces. Now, one of two things will happen. Actually, one of three things will happen. The brand will either say, this is too confrontational what you're mirroring back to us. We're just going to continue as we are. And Confront- then, confrontational meaning too different to what we're doing? Too different, too much, or we can't handle the honesty. Mm-hmm. We're not prepared to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what will happen is they'll repeat this exercise in 24 months, 36 months, and it'll keep occurring. The other thing that they'll do is they'll say, okay, yes, we understand that we need to work on these things. Let's go ahead and do it. Or the third thing they'll do is, wow, we didn't realise those pieces were missing. We don't like this. Let's just rebrand and re-enter our marketplace all over again. And that's what's been happening lately, especially since COVID. So a lot of total rebrands, like they're changing the name, the logo... They may not be changing the name, but they are completely changing everything about themselves and re-entering the marketplace they were already in. So they look like they're a new entrant, but they're not. That's interesting. And why would they do that? They're actually doing that so that they can stay relevant to their consumer because obviously consumer psyche and behaviour changed drastically since COVID with lockdown and restrictions. And some brands have actually recognised that, so much so to the point that they're no longer relevant to their consumer And so in order for them to be relevant, rather than trying to change their marketing, they've essentially decided to re-enter. They just need a dramatic change. Complete dramatic change. Well, actually, I don't know if we've had a dramatic change before, though we could maybe argue we have, but like... You've evolved, definitely, in five years. Yeah, Cub at the start was like a more masculine brand because... You know, the person who thought the brand was cool was me, and I was a twenty-three-year-old guy. Like that yeah. was a that was the natural thing. And then, and it was also like it'd be immature in the sense, like it wasn't, it didn't look professional. Mm. Um, you know, as a lot of early stages do. What happened next was like we had to then professionalize it, so we had to make it look a little bit more professional. Then we had to make it more representative of our community, yeah. which was um, uh, which was a very diverse community. Um, or, and also we wanted it to be more diverse and therefore we had to attract a more diverse uh, uh, group members, which, yep. made it, which meant we need to be a more, more appealing to more mm-hmm. people. So we need to upgrade the brand. So we went through like uh, – and, and then now it's, it's kind of more of a like 
I don't know how you describe it. Like our latest upgrade was kind of like, oh, look how fancy we are. Like, we're, you know, we're more premium. Like, you know, we've so found our position. matured. That's what we would say. You've matured. So mm. you've gone from childhood into adolescence. Now you're in your maturity phase. Yeah, because definitely. Because you've upgraded that. And I think that's just like something that as an entrepreneur you need to be aware is going to happen. Oh, yes. And you also have to be super in tune with, okay, uh, you know, is how we look how we are? Yes. And, and you know, is that like a lot of people uh, – we, we actually had a lot of um, um, women tell us once, and it was women because we were doing market research specifically with female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people were saying – and these were uh, mem- existing members. Yes. And they were saying that Cub from the outside looks – it doesn't look like what it is on the inside. Absolutely. On the inside, it was really warm and really. <laughs> I'm thick. laughing because I was one of those. Were you one of them? Oh, really? Yeah. So that was a big deal. Like, we were like, oh, shit. Like, we're, we're not showing. So I think that's even a good exercise that, you know, listeners can do. It's like, ask your, you know, ask your clients if you think your brand matches the experience or. or totally. 100%. And they'll be honest. If you give them a soapbox or you give them some space, they will be 100% honest with what their experience actually is. Because at the end of the day, we forget that um, when we are in business, we're either in business because we want to make a profit, we're in business because we have a purpose um, or some kind of project we want to take to the world, whether that's an invention or, or, a, or a mission um, or something philanthropic, or we want to leave a legacy behind. We want to build or create something now that generations to come will know and love. And so essentially, when you figure out in business which one are you, and you can be more than one, that tells you the life cycle of how you have to mature your brand and when. Well, I do love, though, that you said legacy is an legacy. option. Because no one ever says that. Everyone says either you got to, you know, you got to speak about your, your purpose or like, you know, if you've got this really innovative, amazing your product, you you got yeah. to show that, but and we forget not, legacy. Yeah, legacy is well, a, bi- a lot of people want legacy. Business. Family business is all about legacy, mm. and yet we forget that. And it, what's interesting is in consumer behaviour at the moment, they're looking for legacy. They want to know that the brand that they're buying, the brand they're letting into their lifestyle, their everyday life, is doing something for the next generation, is giving something back, whether it's locally, whether it's on a global scale. But they're they're doing something in terms of a legacy piece. And, and I love that legacy also, when you think of legacy brands and companies, particularly like they don't have to be uh, only family owned anymore, whatever they are, but obviously there are a lot of legacy family businesses. You, you also have a sense of like trust and like, okay, they're good at what they do because they've been doing it for a long for time. so long. That's right. You know, and, and they're also a great business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not going to screw me over because if they screwed all those people over over the past 80 years, they wouldn't be where they are. They have That's to be right. doing something correct. Mm-hmm. That's, so there's a lot of like – legacy is like a – is kind of like the ultimate for that, – that's what most – small businesses lack because most are new. Most are within That's 10 right. years. That's right. Whereas with legacy, there is an inherent trust. There is an automatic association. There is nostalgia associated with legacy because we like to look to our past. We like to recall memories. We like to um, experience brands that make us feel good and remind us of better times. And essentially that's what legacy does. Mm. But we forget about that. And it doesn't even mean like – you as a company would have to stick to that one thing. You can, like, for example, Louis Vuitton's legacy is the trunks. Chanel's legacy is the blazers. You know, the, right. di- the different, these old, old, old companies, 
you know, they had one specialty and over time they've, they've kind of grown into new products or services. Right. And, and I mean, even Louis Vuitton now, if you look, they're still creating a new legacy for the younger generation. Look at the latest creative director with Pharrell Williams and what he has been able to do with the label and who he has introduced in terms of his collaboration. That is legacy for this next generation that's yeah. coming through. Relevance. Correct. Yeah. Relevancy. Yeah, it's funny because if you think about it, and I've always said this, business is just about survival. You know, it's just about, and, and a business can survive past a human. Like, it, you know, a business can outlive a person. It, out, it will outlive, it will hopefully outlive the founder. Yes. Um, and therefore it's it's just about what decisions does my, does this business, whether I'm the founder or the CEO, need to make today in order to survive best in today's current environment. And Correct. in the current layout and even the way you were speaking about how you identify your brand, really you were just um, describing doing like in-depth market analysis. You're, you're basically saying, okay, what jungle am I playing in? Yeah. This is the jungle. What are the animals that are in this jungle? How many of them are? What's the hierarchy? What's, missing? Yeah. What's the rules? Am I going to play by the rules? Yeah. Am I going to break them? Where am I going to position myself? And once I know where I'm going to slot in, what I'm going to do about that? Yeah. But essentially what you're talking about is the fundamental thing of how does a, a brand walk, talk, and what does it wear? And what does it wear is what does it do for marketing? Because not all forms of marketing or social or PR or advertising is relevant for every brand. Completely. And, and so were you always in branding or what did you do before the business? Well, interestingly, I um, studied photo media at uni and so I came out with a double degree in both design and photography and I wanted to become a photo documentary photographer because I like to people watch and I still do now. But at that time, there really wasn't any work for photographers and so I started working as a designer and I'd work for a small design house and then a large design house and then a, a larger agency and this agency specialised in brands. And they had some pretty major brands in the US and um, in the UK. And so I was able to work on brands such as Marvel Comics and um, Ringling Brothers, which is no longer around. Um, Barbie Mattel was another one, MGM Grand, Disney. So all these major brands that I had exposure to, um, even Sports Girl here in Australia, when they went through a rebranding process. And essentially I uh, left there because I was really quite burnt out and I thought – you know what they're doing? This is missing for smaller businesses. Maybe I can dilute what they're doing and package it up and, and start selling these packages. And I remember I started out, I had a what I call a boffice. My office was in my sister's bedroom and I would burn through the night while she was asleep and I'd lay all my mock-ups out on her bed and I, I think I charged $500 or $1,000 for these branding packages. And literally within a few months I had premises and within 12 months I had staff um, and then grew really quickly, eight or ten full-time staff, a couple of part-time staff, full commercial premises and I thought – well, there's something in this branding thing. I might just become a specialist in it. And then I've been doing it ever since. In fact, 25 years we hit in the industry this oh year. Oh, my God. 25 years. That's incredible. Yep. And do you know what else? It's like when someone starts a business, mm. their favourite thing to do and one of the first most exciting things that that they get to do is create the brand. Yes. You know, like the first thing you do when you start a business, like, okay, what's it called? Mm. 
You know, like sometimes you come up with the name before you come up with the business. Like it, it's Very so true. exciting. And like, interestingly, I did the same thing that you did in business where you were saying in the beginning it was very masculine and, you know, you had a, a, a particular uh, image that you wanted to project. I did the same thing. My business was called Stella. I named it after myself. You know, the whole ego and youth kicked in. Um, I always said to people, I want everyone to remember my name and I'm really good at letting people remember my name. And that's how it started. Of course, it's not called that now. We've evolved the brand because I realised that this business was far bigger than me, particularly when my sister came on board Um, and particularly when she started saying, okay, well, what are you going to leave behind for me, you know, as a younger sibling would? Um, And I thought, yeah, actually, what am I going to leave behind? What is going to be my legacy? This needs to be um, bigger than what it is that I'm creating. And if if I genuinely want to be known as that branding expert, as that consumer futurist, I need to create a legacy. I need to build. Tell me about what it's like because your sister still works with you yes. in the business. Yes. So how do you – what are tips you have in terms of working with family members within a business? Because I know that can be very good and it can also be very difficult. Yes. You know, how, what, what have your experiences been? Well, what's interesting is my sister was on course to become a vet before she worked with me. So she's done both, never work with family and animals. Um, Essentially, we've come to an understanding where we understand what one another's positions are and our roles are, and we've gone to the extent of documenting them. We also have this one pager called Rules of Engagement, and it is simply a couple of points scribbled on a piece of paper that says, we talk about these things in the office. We do not talk about these things in the office. We talk about these things at home at the family dinner table. We do not talk about these things at home on the family dinner table. If it starts to get heated, we take it outside, <laughs> literally. Um, and if we cannot decide, we have a mediator and that's our mother. Wow. And that's it. It's very simple. We don't overstep the mark. Joanne has her responsibilities and also too she has requirements and KPIs that she needs to fulfil just as I do and we hold one another accountable. But I think what's powerful about that and and the, the trend that I see with other successful family businesses is that there are specific roles and specific expectations to do with um, allowing work to cross over into life and life cross cross over into work. And like the fact that you guys even wrote them down, that like that's that should be the level of like because there's a lot of husband wife um businesses. Yes. There's a lot of family businesses that have the the dad and the sons. There's a yep. lot of, you know, th- th- there's a lot of these uh, businesses we see cub and the ones who do really well are the ones who have very specific roles and hold people accountable. Like cuz yes. If you have a staff member that's a family member, and that person is just slacking and bludging and, and all the staff see, oh, this this person like uh, uh, isn't doing anything and they're not being held accountable. Like th- th- it really does affect the culture. It affects the yeah. culture and it also sets a precedent to say, well, that employee, because technically your family member is still an employee of that organisation, well, they're allowed to slacken off so I might just follow suit as well. So you really have to pay attention to how your behaviour affects everybody else. It is setting a precedent. Even things too, like my son, he's only six and a half. Even when he comes into the office, he's been taught that he needs to come in, needs to say hello to everybody and he needs to sit there until he's been engaged with. He doesn't run around, he doesn't go on the slide, he doesn't go straight for the lolly jar. 
um, even though the girls let him do that, but he's been taught. He understands that mum and his auntie run a business and this is their work and he needs to be sensible about that. All family members have been taught that too. But essentially, yeah, you can't let, like, if my sister wasn't producing or let's just say, for example, my sister's really good at doing this with me because I do a lot in business development, if I don't hit my KPIs, I get penalised as an employee. I lose marketing budget the following month. I didn't hit my KPIs. The numbers have to be made up somewhere. And if there's surplus, I get a percentage of that that I can then reinvest, like any other employee. Yeah, you need a rule, but you need a rule evenly. Like yes. everybody's under the same law. It yes. doesn't matter if you're president or if you're you're just your average person. You all have the same law. That's and right. That, it needs to be fair and even. I mean, we've worked with some of our clients that our family businesses are so large, they actually have a family council. So an external council. Yeah, that's very popular. Yeah, yeah. that is, that is a, a mixture of existing family members and non-family members who make sure that they manage the affairs of the family members who are employees to ensure that they can do their job properly to maintain the integrity of both the business and the brand. Yeah, it's a hard thing because, you know, you can't really like – I mean, it'd be hard to fire a family member. It's challenging. But yeah, but at the same time, you know, who do you trust more than a family member? So you've got like the benefit is you've got these people that you trust that would never kind of screw you over or let yeah. you down. But you also need them to be high performing because if they're not, then there's another issue. Like it's a very complex thing. But But all in all, there's a lot of amazing family businesses and a lot of businesses that are run by families that are Absolutely. probably some of the most successful and I think just to that, if everyone, particularly those that are in family, if they just run off the scenario of sometimes you need to do what's right for the greater good of the organisation and not what's right necessarily for that in individual employee, whether they are a family member or not. And that starts to give you a little bit of clarity perspective. and perspective. And have you, how have you managed the kind of infiltration, I'll use that word, of AI. Like everyone keeps talking about AI is going to take all the jobs of the lawyers <laughs> and the creatives and the, you know, hopefully not the networkers. But but has that been a thing for you or what are your thoughts on AI? So we, uh, we heavily rushed towards AI and have adopted it very, very quickly. In fact, we are uh, utilising quite a few different AI technologies and versing up very, very well on quite a few other ones. Um, and I suppose to put the put it into perspective, for us, AI, and this is the way that I see it, that for this gen generation, this is the industrial revolution for us. It's the techno technological one with AI. And just like the industrial revolution, many people lost their jobs, but they were meaning or jobs that could have been replaced, but there were so many others that were going to be replaced. So if we look... Um, at what AI is doing for business in general, not just creative businesses. By the year 2027, which is what, five years from now approximately, there is going to be 97 million new jobs worldwide. Generated by AI. Generated by AI. Yes, there will be some losses and we will probably see those in administration tasks and menial legal tasks and what have you. But essentially, I know which side of the foot that I want to be on with, with AI. What we also have to remember with AI too is that AI is still in its infancy. It needs to be primed. It needs to be trained. It cannot think and it cannot feel. 
So it makes a really good working partner, essentially a great brainstorming partner, if you look at it that way and you understand how to utilise the technology. It's not something to be scared of and it's certainly not going away. But utilised properly, it can be a very, very powerful source in terms of growth and amplification in business. And so how are you guys using it? So we're using it a variety of different ways. So what we are doing is initially we started playing around with Chat GPT and Jasper and I'm obsessed with Chat GPT. <laughs> I don't use it as much as I would anticipate I would, but when I am stuck on something, I do you go back it. to it. And so I'm you like, use okay. it as a brainstorming partner, right? Yeah. It's great to actually um, give it a question or or give it a, a rewrite this, or a prompt. make it shorter. Exactly, and that's what most people use it for. That's what we would call base level. Yeah, we're definitely base level base here at Gap. So we started utilising it for um, fleshing out content. For example, we had a cornerstone piece of, of uh, marketing written by a professional copywriter and we would use it to flesh it out to create some blogs and some EDMs and some social content for clients. Then we started utilising it for um, data sets. So we would feed it data sets and say, analyse this data, utilise this plugin to take this research and that PDF and cross-reference that analysis with this input that we've garnered and it starts to give us a spectrum. Now what we're starting to utilise those AI technologies for is to say, okay, let's have a look at this data set that you've now analysed and let's have a look at the intent, um, so the intent of behaviour, i.e. in the case of the consumer, the intent to purchase before they purchase. Let's see how we can overlay that with proactive communication and what activities would actually generate the most traction. So we're actually asking it to give us a pattern or to preempt a behaviour um, for the client. And we're taking all of that back and then building the brand in and around what the AI technology is suggesting that we do. But see, how did you learn, how did you know how to do that? Because like, I, I mean, I would love to get it to uh, check data for me and Cub has a lot of data, but like, I mean, you can't do that in ChatGPT, can you? Or how, how, like how do you? You can do it in chat GPT, but it all comes down to the input. And I say the input because your output is only as good as your input. And that's where creatives will never be out of a job. If a creative continues to nurture their own creativity, continues to build that resilience like a craftsman would, they won't be out of the job because the, the AI technology, particularly um, generative technologies, only build upon what you feed it. So if you feed it rubbish, it's going to give you rubbish back. But the other thing to understand with AI is it cannot multitask. So you cannot feed it a multitude of different tasks or jobs that you want it to do because it just won't cope. So you have to learn to write prompts in a certain manner in a specific sequence, which we call prompt stacking or sequencing, in order for it to generate what it can, what, what you want it to do. In fact, we've gone to the extent now of working with a developer to actually build code that once one prompt or sequence has been finished, it will automatically prompt the next and it will continue and continue and continue. But it's all trial and error. There are some organisations that will sell their prompts to you. There are others that will um, help you develop it. But essentially it is all trial and error. But a, And a prompt is basically what you type into the system. Yep. So like what a, you're asking. A about. question, a command, um, it, it's referred to as a prompt. And it, like how could someone, do, do you know a place or a website someone could go to learn how to prompt AI better? 
They're still emerging. So what is currently out there is not the best and it's still very, very superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's an Instagram handle that you could follow for most, most people. It's called Evolving AI and it's a really good one because it's showing you image, it's showing you video, it's showing you animation, it's showing you a variety of different AI tools and what can be produced by it. But and in essence, it's like I, I agree with you. I don't think people should be scared of AI. I, I think it's just another innovation, another uh, another tool like all these other tools throughout history, all of which is, uh, have only made us better, Correct. have created more jobs and made the society better and more convenient. Mm. And AI to me is like such a big – like the fact that you can ask these little thing questions and it gets back to you and it rewrites yeah. my like speeches and emails and like – that, that even just that basic tool in it, that function it's a great, is just revolutionary. Like. Well, it's a great brainstorming partner and essentially what AI is going to do is it's going to speed up productivity. We're going to see a whole lot of efficiencies. And whilst we might lose some jobs, interestingly, let's look at what it's going to do to the global economy. More efficiency is key. Efficiency. Within the next year, yes, we might lose 300 million jobs to AI. That is scary. But the world's economy is predicted to go up by 7 or 8% globally. That's huge. That is huge. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, coming back to what you said originally. It's scary, but it's positive. It's, it is positive. And essentially you just need to go and have a play with it and see what it can do. Yeah, and I think more people need to be like – seeing not just playing with it themselves and, and, and using it, but seeing and, and researching how they can systemize it into their business to, to right. help with, you know, to help with tasks, to, to, to become a, a tool, a systemized tool that your team or your business uses ongoing. Well, um, there's many different areas that you can introduce AI. You can introduce AI in pre-sales. You can introduce AI in customer service and after-sales support. You can introduce AI technologies to amplify your marketing. You can introduce AI technologies to generate or to create or replicate um, images and video. You can even use an AI technology now to um, take a sampling of your voice recording and create custom audios and videos from one master video to be able to offer a lot more personalised nurturing process. via email or via any sort of marketing. I imagine then like AI education is going to be a huge sector. Curriculums are already being written in some of the education sectors. Yeah. But even private, like even business-wise. 100%. Yep, yeah, everyone is. I want to know how to do all that stuff. They're spending big on R and D. They are spending a lot of money in recruiting AI officers and chief um, AI officers, um, essentially because that's what they want to do. They want to be able to um, offer AI in a form that will either make their existing workforce more productive, more efficient, or more profitable. Yes, yeah. or, or all three. In your space, like. Branding. It's not marketing. It's branding, isn't it? It's branding specifically, yeah. but we're often lumped in with marketing. Yeah, but it is, I, I think they are separate. Now, Well, branding comes before marketing, yeah. let's just say. But, but a lot of people, like you're saying, they put them together. It's kind of yes. like marketing includes branding, but I, I don't view it that way at all and it shouldn't be viewed that no, way. It's Would a bit like saying um, waxing and hairdressing is the same. Yeah. <laughs> they deal with hair, but it's not quite the same. Exactly. So how do you... As a, as a as a brand a branding company owner, how do you how are you able to differentiate yourself from other branding co- branding companies? Because like there are a lot of branding companies, and how yeah. do you create a work environment 
And I ask this question not finding out about your business, more so how you think about it. Like how will you attract talent and get them to come to you as opposed to going to another branding agency? You know, what are your, what, what are your theories on, on that? Well, whilst they, whilst they may seem very simplistic, they work. So the first thing is that in our marketing communications, we don't speak like other agencies. We don't sound like other agencies and we don't use all the lingo or all the terminology. And whenever we doing, we're doing a, a push strategy and we're going to market, essentially what we are talking about is the consumer and the end goal and why it's beneficial for them. The other thing too is that in more recent um, years, we've allowed our personality to come through a lot more. So for people to see that, um, no, we're not all perfectly curated, we aren't clones and we aren't just a, you know, vanilla copy of another Kardashian essentially, we are real people, we are creative, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses and we play that up. So I think that's also really, really important. And the other thing to... Um, that we think is important is rather than say how good we are, I mean, yes, we're award-winning, I've, I've personally launched over a 1,000 brands, I've worked on over 3,500 different branding projects in my career. There's some numbers. We let our portfolio do the talking. We let the testimonials tell the story. We let the reviews give the credibility rather than us say it. And I think they're the key things as to why we're still alive today. Our industry is very saturated there's always newbies coming in and the problem we face is that um, a lot of competitors copy one another so they become clones. We're going into this like sea of sameness. Yeah, that's what it can be like and and that's why sometimes like constant change is important, like constant evolution is important yep, evolution. because like my favourite like thing someone said to me once was that, you know, they can copy what you do or what you're doing but they can't copy what you're thinking. Like they can't see what you're thinking and what you're planning on doing. And so as long as you're the leader, you're constantly innovating, you're constantly evolving, you're changing, you're making, you're doing those changes and innovations for really reasons that you know are good reasons. That's right. Yeah. Then you're always going to be at the, at the front of the the pack. And uh, I agree. You know, when someone pumps up their own tires, you're like, Oh, shut up. I don't believe you. (laughs) And not only do I not believe you, but now I don't even like you. You know, like that's, that's, like that's a problem. That's common. Yeah. Oh my God. Go common. on LinkedIn. That's all you see all day. Common. Is is people talking themselves up? But the the best example I've ever witnessed um, of someone using others to talk them up was I went to a Tony Robbins event. This is years ago. I went with um, Zoe Marshall and who's a great entrepreneur. We've had her on the show and Lillian Kloot, who's a really great designer and, yep, and great Lillian, business yep. owner too. <clears throat> and. Um, and I actually didn't know who Tony Robin was at the time. Obviously, then I learned before I went and it was awesome. But but the whole time, I mean, I loved a lot of his thing, but yeah. I didn't like a lot of it too. And the whole time it was before he walked out, it was people on stage talking about how he had changed their life mm. and ha- like how amazing of a human he was. Yes. And you could just see all the people around me. I was looking at them. They were like, oh, my God, like this is amazing. I can't wait for this person to change my life. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, I wasn't personally looking for this epiphany, but but uh, I was there more for fun, I guess. But but I could see how it was working. Like, mm. And when he walked out, he never talked himself up because he didn't need to. No, he he had so planned well. never. He had planned the show so that it's this huge – 
Tony Robbins build up with all these people like I lost this and now I'm this and now I'm the best and it's because yeah. the, and it was just that on repeat and then Tony walks out and by that point everyone's like oh my god like <laughs> changed my life you know and I remember thinking wow he's mastered other people talking talking him up and him never, not having to he obviously built it into his system which I mean we can learn from like you can build that into it. Well, he has mastered an old school technique which we have forgotten all about, which will re-emerge now because of AI and, you know, all of the reproductions that it can, um, it's about to unleash. He uses old school edification. You get other people to edify you, to build up your worth, to build up your credibility because we will never... We will never as humans accept what you say as truth 100%. We will look for external validation. What did you call it? Edification. I've never heard of that. What is that? It's an old school term where to edify somebody is to put them on a pedestal, is to give them credibility, is to give them worth. And so that's what they used to use. That's what public relations is built on. They edify somebody. And that's so true because every time any PR comes out, like comes out about uh, me or Cub or whatever, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, congratulations, you're doing fantastic. Yep. And it's always like well, doing exactly the same thing I was doing six months ago before. Like it, you know, it, nothing's changed. It's just the media put you on a pedestal and therefore others see you on a pedestal. Correct. And Tony's mastered the art of that. And brands that are really successful, global brands, use this one technique constantly in their marketing. So how do you do that? How do you... How do you get yourself put on the pedestal? Because you can't put yourself on the pedestal. No, you have to use external sources to be able to do it. So simply for smaller businesses or faster growing businesses, the easiest way is testimonials and reviews and media articles um, that essentially uh, talk about how great you are or how fantastic you are at what you do or how your brand is different so other people talk about it. Um, And then you extend that credibility by using social media um, and sharing that and then you further extend it by sending it to your um, database via email and then you extend it even further by doing a video on it on YouTube and then you can extend that even further by um, writing a blog about it. It, it, it's a it's long so line, important. A long line, but it's it's. Um, I think it's important to be creative, though, as well. In it, like sometimes, like I, I've had a, a few debates with a, a podcast guest before on like testimonials, and like testimonials obviously work. Um, that's why all these big brands do them and, yes. and use them, and, <clears throat> and certainly social proof, like Google reviews positive in large quantities. That's the ultimate. That, yes. That's that's the best way because the company didn't ask that person to do it. That person just did it. Or you can ask but, you know, you systemize that into your processes and, you know, over a five-year period you end up with tons and tons of five-star reviews. Actually, that's probably a really good thing people to do because I don't think there's anything more powerful than having heaps and heaps of positive reviews on like other social platforms, whether it be Google right. or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Because the only issue I have with testimonials that companies promote is like I know that that company asked that person to say that testimonial and I know they did that because either A, you know, they obviously did do a good job for that person, that person's happy, or B, that person's friends with that company or, or the owner and therefore yep. – so they're kind of like rigged testimonials. Like They, they are. 
And you said, how do we be creative? Yeah. So how do you get creative with not being rigged or like being rigged, but in a smarter way where you've out tricked them. So it doesn't look rigged, but really is rigged, you know? So one of the things that we ask our clients to do is when they're seeking testimonials, the first thing we say is go to your clients and don't ask them to give you a testimonial. Ask them to tell you all about their experience. What did you resolve for them? And then watch the testimonials come through in a different way. We got a testimonial just recently from a very well-known leadership coach that actually said to us, I loved your process because you didn't let me off the hook. You called me on my behaviour, you laid it out for me and I realised that that was the pathway I needed to take. That's why I chose to rebrand. That's not a typical testimonial. Mm. You know, we we are used to, we are conditioned to reading the testimonials that says, I worked with ABC Company and they ex-10xed or 5xed my my business and, and now I have A, B and C and we're like, oh, God, man. And they're also boring. They're like boring. you don't listen to them in the start place because you can even see from the like this, what, what's it called? Um the thumbnail. The thumbnail. The thumbnail, yep. Um, like you even see the thumbnail, you're like, God, I can already tell you that's going to be a testimonial and that's going to be boring. Yep. Like, And so it's going to be boring, exactly. But essentially what you want these um, people to do, if you want to see creativity, tell them the story, tell them how your brand got them from A to B, talk about what it is that they resolved, talked about their experience, how did they feel? Because really what we're looking for as a consumer, we're looking to assimilate, we're looking to associate, is that me? Can that be me? Because as a consumer, I really don't give a shit about how good you are. I don't care about where you took the company or how much money you made. I want to know what you really did for that business. Yeah, how are you going to help me? How are you going to help me? Yeah. Can I insert myself in that? So that's when you start to get really good, amazing testimonials, exactly what Tony Robbins does by getting everyone to edify him. Yeah. And you know what else? Yeah, how how they helped me. Like even if you could get your clients to say, look, can you share how we've helped you on your business journey? Or can you share how, you know, Cub has been beneficial to you? Like, yep. because then people can say, oh, that's an example of how they help that person. Well, maybe they could help me in that way. And even instead of like, you know, as a company, you you might post your own testimonials or that you might post them on your whatever. But sometimes like maybe it would be better if you got a client to, and I'm just thinking on my feet here because we don't actually do this, but I think it would work better would be like, asking a client, hey, you know, would you mind, you know, posting on your LinkedIn or on your socials that you used us or that or or that you used us and how we how we helped you? Essentially, you know? yes. Yeah, because when someone else posts it, like it's like, wow, that even if you ask them to do it, mm. you still know that person went out of their way to to post it That's you know, right. themselves as opposed to the company saying, hey, can you say this? Yeah, okay, and then sharing that. And it's more trust. It might look like um, share with everybody what you learned from us. Um, tell people what was the best part of the process. Tell people who you became in this journey. So I love that. Share what you learned from us. Because then also the post is us. valuable. That's right. Because Tony does that. He gives you tools to go away with so that you can learn because when you've learned something and you're proud that you've learned about it, what do you do? You tell everybody about yeah. it. How would you know that? Oh, I heard it. At exactly. Cup. Really? Oh. oh, then that seed of inception is planted and the next time Tony does a campaign to promote his next set of events, bang, I'm going to go. Yeah. 
we really should start asking Cub members to post on LinkedIn and be like, and, and how, has Cub, how has a, Cub helped you? This is a perfect example of intent to purchase, intent in the behaviour, and this is where brands need to position themselves. Yeah, but I think it's important to systemise it. So yes, and like AI there's can a constant <laughs> flow of it, you know, like because I, I really don't believe in there being much value in doing it once or twice or doing it a few times. Like I, I really think if you're going to do something, it should be a system and it should be constantly flowing this. Like imagine if constantly on LinkedIn I started seeing people, sh- you know, sh- posting saying, you know, um, Stella helped me with my brand and like, you know, I, she's been amazing, would highly recommend everyone using her. This is what she taught me and this is what we did. And I just saw that 10 times over a six month period, you know, a there's, well, there's that like brand confidence where I'm getting more confident in, in, in Stella in this case. And, but B there's also the, um, right time element. So like, Oh, you know what? I didn't need a brand update mm. before. I actually do need a brand now. We're launching a new business now. And you know what? I'm gonna I better reach out to Stella because I've seen so many people say she's amazing within my network and they've said yep. it. She hasn't she hasn't posted what they've said. They've posted it. And then that client looks great to their peers because they look professional, they've been repositioned, and they look like they're doing something good or that they're delivering something of value. So it puts them in a better light as well yeah, too. It's something of value. Like, That's right, something no, of value. Yeah, and nothing's worse than when people post things that it's – like I, I don't mind if someone posts something that it's like keeping me in the loop of what they're doing. I don't mind that because I'm very interested. Like if I know the person, I'm like, oh, that's cool because I want to know what's happening with the people yeah. around me. It, but second to that, the other like thing I, I don't mind reading is things that could be valuable. Like, and what's mostly valuable? Well, social recommendations are very valuable. Mm. Like that's a really valuable bit. Sometimes people try to create valuable content and like I'll read and be like, wow, that was the worst 30 seconds. I could wait. <laughs> you know, because they, and look, some people might find that valuable, but it's not, but I didn't find don't. it valuable. The majority and, don't. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, I like you less. Um, but something people can do, like you see it on Instagram happens a lot. It's like they'll tag a company that, you know, organized their, that, 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 that framed, all, that, that hung all their frames in their house. And you're mm. like, holy shit, I actually need that. Yep. I might not need it now, but I don't know how to use a drill. So I'm going to need that. Yep. Thank you. Like Roxy just saying goes all the time. You know, she she tags every company. She she she's I mean, a master yeah, she's it. a friend of mine. She's a she's a master of she doing that. But I'm always like, holy shit, you're following her is so valuable because A, it's entertaining, but B, like she's always posting recommendations for brands and companies and people she She's used. also credible because she walks her walk, she talks her talk. Yeah. So she is authentic and natural at it. And let's not forget too, when we say of value, perception is valuable. Quality is valuable and these are all inherent things that brands need to understand is what gives them as a brand value. It it makes them a more enriched, sought-after brand. Yeah. What makes you – yeah. Like what makes you – what makes your content valuable and what makes your brand valuable? Like I have another friend named Amal who owns Equolution. It's like a um, a tech company that helps people have a good – 
a positive relationship with food. So mm-hmm. um, it, it helps them eat the foods that they want but understand what foods have what calories and so they can design a diet around mm-hmm. their goals and still enjoy the food they like. Using but, psychology of yeah, food, right? But, but, and using the actual science and the like calories and all that type of stuff uh, and, and get the body results they want. And her Instagram – um, like, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not the ideal client of, of the, of the platform, but she's always posting like healthy meals, uh, like meal meals on like things she's cooking or mm-hmm. things her chefs at the thing have cooked. And I'm always like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like I, I'd eat that. Like I haven't actually cooked any of them, but like I get value from yeah, like seeing them. Like that's a good idea. Like that's a nice bowl. You're associating with that brand. Yeah. And because you're associating and you can see yourself using that brand or you can see yourself with that brand or you can see yourself with that brand in your everyday life, um, eventually when the time comes that the need is there and you need to purchase from them, you're going to recall that. Yeah. So essentially all of this edification and all of the value and the perception and the credibility and the social proof that you're seeing is all part of the pre-sale process. We used to call it brand recognition. It is still brand recognition um, but it only becomes recognition when they purchase from you. Yeah, it's it's just it's so important and it's just so important to make that distinction of – like don't and, – and like every company posts things that aren't valuable. Like that – you're not going to get away from it. Like it's always going to happen. But maybe try to see like what really like do people enjoy seeing me post? Like mm. and it might not even be what you think is valuable. Like ask people what you, what they've liked that you've posted maybe and You'd just post so more of that. you surprised like, on my socials. I agree. The things that my clients say they enjoy is um, – Every time I post about myself as being a mum and an entrepreneur and my failures with my son and I talk about the lame-ass things that I did or that he did, they find that valuable. They're like, oh, it's so, so good to see someone successful like yourself admit a failure or admit a mistake and then be really frank about it. Yeah, and being you're being authentic. I'm being authentic but and I al- I'm owning it. <laughs> yeah, but I also think that – well, you're being confident. Like I always see that as confidence when people do that. But unless they're doing it and you're like, oh, I know you're just doing that to – you know, like because that's also <laughs> obvious. But but you bring up an interesting point because like we found that a lot of people like – like yeah, because I'm very bad at social media. I don't really um, – like I, it's not my skill set. But – uh, on socials, yeah, but on socials, people like it when I'm posting the person, like just see my life, like what I'm doing. And, you know, that could be because if a brand has like a known uh, kind of leader or, or that person, that CEO or that founder, you know, is a major part of that brand and, and mm. who, who knows that brand, they kind of get to know you better. So they're like, That's oh, right. I like that he cooks ugly looking stuff and uh, that he goes to here and like it kind of it's a way to let people get to know you and connect right. more with you and we want to know that and then the cheer for deal. you you yeah. know we we want to know we want to know what you wore when you went to that wedding overseas mm. you know we want to know where you i got a lot of message about <laughs> daily mail <laughs> about I did that see, I did, did you see it on daily mail oh actually i saw it on your um, social first and then oh. i saw the vogue article um because i mean i follow vogue and i was interested to see who wore what to this wedding you know mm. completely unrelated and then there's a photo of daniel hackyman i was like oh right <laughs> there you go but i mean we are a little voyeuristic in that respect but essentially we want to know the the person behind the brand we want to know who created it why they created it we want to know everything about them whether that 
that's because we want to be like them or whether that's because we want that brand as part of our lives, we want to know who you are essentially, the real you, not the facade that you've built up, not the perception that most people build their brands towards because they think that's what the consumers want, the real you, the real the real deal essentially. Completely agree. I think it's a good good place to wrap up because we're out of time. But Wow, that but went quickly. Yeah, it does. It goes far. Everyone says that and everyone's like, oh, when can we do a second episode? <laughs> <laughs> we probably should start doing a second. The problem is we have a non-stop flow of like potential guests because like re- like 95% of guests are Cub members and then like mm. 5% of them are just like my friends. Uh, so like we've just got a never-ending flow of, 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 of great talents I have on, on the show. but Because it's but such a great network. It is. It is great network. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and you. to our amazing listeners, um, if you want to get in contact with Stella, um, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find all the information there, um, uh, contact details, favourite books, uh, favourite quote, all sorts of things, What whatever Stella has granted us with from her brain. Um, and if you want to catch up with Cub on socials, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. Stella, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoy the show.